Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 352 with Ola Saz of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Nathan Chen here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. Welcome back to another episode. Today we've got an incredible guest. His name is Ola Saz. And you're going to hear from someone that uh, was one of the co-founders of Beats Music, which eventually was acquired by Apple, which then turned into Apple Music. You're going to hear how he started other companies in the music industry like Pacemaker, which was the first DJ-driven music platform. And now he's also the founder and CEO of a company called Soundtrack Your Brand, which is one of the fastest growing music streaming services for the B2B space. You're going to learn a lot about product development, like This is a $3 billion startup, which is crazy to think. And I learned something from Ola, which was interesting, which was that people in Sweden are very, very good at creating products. And you're going to hear a lot about how he has gone about that in every one of the companies he's created. Uh, If you guys are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. And that's it from me, guys. Now let's jump in the show. Ola, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? Well, I created my job, obviously. <laughs> I've been creating my job for a long while now, uh, somewhat successfully, somewhat unsuccessfully. Um, I've been running my own companies for, for almost 15 years now. So um, just you know, creating them from the start, 
mainly in the music tech space now the last 10 years and uh but before that also in consulting and other things so my first job um i got like anyone else just went to school and and applied and did lots of interviews and got some some crappy job to start off with so what was the first business you started the first business i started was actually a consultancy firm and uh that that was a very long time ago it's like 18 years ago or something and um it was um professional services firm focusing on a, a very specific vertical segment uh, out of Stockholm um, where we were doing brand strategy, basically. So co-founded that with a couple of older, more experienced girls and boys and um, learned, learned how to build a professional services firm. That was, that was my first startup and then uh, been, been going on since then. Interesting. So um, that consultancy uh what what happened was it successful because you said you've had some unsuccessful businesses um what what happened that one was was actually successful um we were able to sell that company to uh, a different group or a bigger kind of conglomerate and uh, that company's still alive actually uh, underneath the same brand as we started off it's called differ and it's uh, you know a niched strategy consultant uh, based here in Stockholm and in London. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and uh, how long did you work on on the uh, consultancy? I did. Uh, I usually talk, when I talk about what I do, I'm, I usually talk about the last 10 years when I was kind of made to move into music tech and, and kind of my experience there. So, But before that, um, I had a good, you know, eight years in, in different types of consultancy gigs from, you know, on the big U.S. firms, uh, building my own company twice in the professional services kind of area. So this first one, Differ, I, I spent almost four years building uh, and then uh, got out of that. I actually took a sabbatical year and, and traveled through South America um, by myself. So just disappeared from the map for, you know, 10 months. My mom was not happy about that. Uh then I uh, got back and, and set up my second professional services firm, which was a bit more well, better well thought through. Uh, it was a model where we actually took stake in bigger deals that we helped, bigger advertising agency pitch for big global clients. And when, when they won that, that deal, we would take uh, a percentage of the, the total deal. So there was leverage in the model. It wasn't just selling hours. So very successful, small team flying around the world and kind of winning the biggest accounts uh, and taking 3% on the total revenue, gross revenue of those accounts, which was obviously an amazing, amazing business model. But it, it just turned me more and more cynical every year. And, and uh, it, it took me to a place where I was, you know, more and more unhappy with, with my life and the, kind of the, the path in my profession that I've chosen. Did a couple of those gigs before I kind of made made the jump into my passion, which is music. and and. Uh, kind of in the worst possible timing ever when the music industry was in, you know, in complete disaster after file sharing and everything and, you know, completely bombarded and, and the value of the music industry was, you know, almost a third of what it was when it was, you know, was, was, was at its best. That's when I chose to, to kind of move away from a prosperous career in, in consulting and, and banking to join the, you know, the music train. Interesting. So when was that? Uh, that was 
2009, I think it was, 2010, um, we did, properly we did, uh, first startup. I was, no, it was 2007, actually, when we kind of, when I made the move and, like, made the decision. And since then, I've actually done four startups in the music tech space. So in 2007, is that when you created Beats? So no, I my first company was, and it, it's a funny story, uh, actually. Uh, it was I was on um, Ibiza, uh, the island outside of Spain, where all the fun stuff happens uh, with good friends who um, all are in the music industry. And what what I realized uh, was that they were having fun and making money, and and I was making money and having a terrible time at that time. Um, but I was making good money. And I just kind of early one morning, having stayed up all night, you know, uh, sitting at home, watching the sun come up with some friends, uh, just draw up a matrix where it's like fun, boring, money in, money out on, on the air. And then I said, like, okay, you guys actually are able to live a life where you're in up in the fun area and you're making money. I'm here having fun, spending money. And when I go back home, I'm making a lot of money, but having a boring time. So I said, like, okay, what what could take me up to kind of the same status in life that where you are uh, actually in the fun money in section? Um, and that was either music or sports. Very cliche for a boy, right? But that was it. And um, and but it wasn't only the emotional kind of leap uh, in my career. It was also irrational thinking around the fact that the music industry was digitizing right in front of us at that point i mean everything from anything from production to distribution to consumption was all you know transforming into a complete new digital model i saw that opportunity actually made the move um started a first company called tonium we built a really cool product called the pacemaker which was the world's first pocket-sized dj system and it sounds quirky in a way but it was actually uh, a first step in the ambition uh of what i'm still doing and it, it comes back to kind of if you have, have if you have the music market right then the digitization of, of supply of that in that market would just happen and that led to the fact that anyone could could access all the music in the world anywhere anytime that's the thesis uh, that was the thesis that i had and obviously that's the reality of today uh, fast forward 12 years. And and then that market reality, what I was thinking was that, okay, I mean, probably distribution is going to solve itself. Uh, consumption is going to solve itself through cell phones and mobile phones and whatnot. And production is such a small market, but that's probably going to go software anyway. But in this big equation, the one who would kind of figure out how to filter the music, curate the music, if you like, or kind of create the recommendation engine of music, that's probably the interesting position to have in that that kind of digital value chain that that music was entering into, and so that bet was before the App Store. Believe it or not, the App Store didn't exist then. So we were actually building uh, the first uh, music recommendation engine, and we were doing it by a very simple thesis: is that humans that are high engagement in music read DJs uh, or music tastemakers are actually the best source in the world for for actually music recommendation or music curation, if you may. So if we can build a platform that connects to all the DJs of the world, we could turn that into a music recommendation engine to all the consumers of the world. So we called it like taste makers to taste taker or taste exchange. 
So it was very early, maybe a bit too early thinking at that time, but that that forced us into building hardware basically because the only way to distribute that into the DJ market was to build the world's best DJ hardware software platform. And so we did. And that was called Pacemaker. And we raised $20 million back then. That was a lot of money, um, especially in little Sweden at that time. And uh, started building Pacemaker. I spent four years working day and night uh, launching that concept. And it was a pretty cool concept, actually. And still very proud of that. But back to your question. We crashed that one when that was one of the companies I wasn't able to follow through on because building hardware just consumed us. It was, you know, day and night for four years, you know, sourcing, producing, distributing hardware into 20 markets. It's just, it was just too tough for us to, to make it through. Mm. So you guys went to market with that product? We went to market with that product, sold it in, in 20 markets. We... And the funny thing about um, that being the first venture in that space. So when when we realized we we wouldn't make it in terms of because the hardware production just consumed our whole company, the balance sheet and all the funding, and it's just too intense to reiterate hardware on as a startup. And so I learned that the hard way, obviously, uh, no punt intended. But what I did then was I actually we we built such a sophisticated system. We built kind of all the embedded software for the hardware. We built the kind of the supporting software, meaning kind of the iTunes to the pacemaker. And then we built an online platform where DJs could actually upload and share their DJ mixes. And what what I saw was that the online platform was obviously the big, the real big thing. That was where all the taste exchange occurred in between like people starting to follow DJs and things like that. So so it became very quickly a huge kind of music platform for, for music discovery uh, and mainly kind of music discovery through humans, through DJs. So tastemaker to tastemaker exchange. So I acquired the online platform from Pacemaker when we crashed um, and refinanced that myself with, with some money that I had left and, and started my second venture, venture, which was called Let's Mix. And then I was, during the Pacemaker years, we were, we were you know, like in the centerfold of a wired magazine. Like it was like, it was a big deal what we were building. It's a very sophisticated music bet. And so that drawed some attention to that concept where Jimmy and Dre, who were building beats by Dre uh, back then, um, got very interested in. So we, we actually had very deep discussions of, of them acquiring Pacemaker from us uh, back then when they were building the hardware business of Beats by Dre headphones. It fitted their kind of philosophy perfectly well, but I wasn't able to broker the deal with my investors because they thought we were going to be the new Apple or something, obviously. So I, I was unsuccessful of brokering the hardware deal. But then when I was when I was able to acquire the online platform after we we crashed the the whole kind of hardware concept, then I was able to re-engage with, with Jimmy and Dre. And then they had kind of evolved their idea around Beats and you know wanted to build beats into global music brand or you know the mainstream music brand of tomorrow and and that fitted very well with our combined vision around music and human curation and, and kind of competing with spotify with a more human driven kind of music service so that then i i sold let's mix to beats uh and i incorporated let's the, the team into the beat structure and we started building beats music as a stealth project out of Stockholm. So 
So that was the third startup, Beats Music, then, um, which you probably know of. It's, it was, you know, a, a, a service that launched and, and started competing with Spotify properly and then got acquired by Apple for just above $3 billion. Um, so that was, that was um, Pacemaker, Let's Mix, Beats Music, crazy, crazy ride, lots of anecdotes of, uh, just sitting on a plane for 200 days and just, you know, dealing with these crazy people and trying to build technology at the same time and um, building a, a competitor to Spotify who actually, you know, are good friends of mine here in Stockholm just across the street. So it was pretty weird of sitting here in Stockholm in a stealth project, uh, building the competitor to my fellow Swedes um, in secrecy. Then we moved everything over to the U.S. and we acquired a company up in in San Francisco and kind of launched the service in the US. But that's all history now. Yeah, wow, fascinating. So tons of questions, but let's talk about Soundtrack Your Brand because um, that's kind of like, yeah, like Spotify's commercial, like 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 music for business now, right? Like, yeah, so, so we'll, go, we'll go all the way through the journey then I have a ton of different questions. So um, obviously, yeah, you know, Beats was sold to Beats, Beats Music was sold and 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 the hardware too to uh, Apple. Um, I'm curious, how, when did you start Soundtrack Your Brand? When I had to kind of check out from the the craziness over there in in West Coast US, and for family reasons, I was you know basically and for health reasons, I was on a plane you know uh, more than I could you know remember. Uh, so I was like moving back to Sweden taking care of my my family issues and needed a job obviously and needed something to do and I, I I was fairly treated by by Jimmy and everyone when I exited and everything was good but I I did actually exit before the the acquisition was was concluded so that's another funny anecdote <laughs> that could have been could have been uh, a bit more sweeter if I'd stayed in another six months but I, I just didn't have it in me and so uh, the soundtrack idea is, is a very simple idea. It was I, I spent you know cutting cutting my teeth in in the, the B two C space, right? Learning about what is music, what's the music market going to be like, what's going to happen in terms of distribution. It's and it's actually very complex. People kind of tend to think that music streaming is is easy. It's one of the most complex freaking industries or kind of. Uh, constructs i've ever dealt with um from a licensing technology perspective and so my like idea was to all right i've gotten multiple questions from brands asking how can i relate to um streaming how can i can i bring music into my shops or into my cars or anything so i started realizing that there's a whole new market or uh, an existing market which is you know the sexy background music market, right? Or the sexy elevator music market, <laughs> and and I was thinking about it. It's like, wait a minute, that's pretty freaking cool, right? Because like I come from the DJ music culture, and and like know what it's all about when the experience is amazing, right? You can fall in love, you can remember a night forever, and the soundtrack is everywhere, and it's memories and whatnot. So the public context is is a very interesting music experience, a music market maybe potentially also music discovery environment so all of a sudden i started thinking about it's like wow it's it's everywhere music is everywhere outside outside of the headphones music is still being played and um 
then I was like, all right. Then I, I had a look at that market and I realized it was, you know, 20 years behind that what was going on in the consumer space. And I what I had been an integral part of kind of shaping a market and a model. Uh, so I decided to bring that thesis into the B2B space and realized that no one had done it before. And it's a whole different licensing structure because you have to redo everything again, like we did at Beats. Like I have 10,000 direct deals now at Soundtrack with labels and publishers worldwide for in order to supply 51 million tracks in 74 markets. So that's taken me years to kind of conclude. And by the way, we had to invent the model as well because there was no kind of business model around it. So so that was Soundtrack, but a very easy thesis, right, to to understand. Of course, music streaming is is something that that brands want and that can kind of, you know, create amazing experience to sell more coffee. Uh, But the model was not there and the technology was completely different than building a consumer service. So set out to do that in 2013, back home in Sweden with a small team of of 75 people now that have spent close to seven years uh, reiterating. I founded the company together with Spotify as my co-investor and but it's a completely independent company with an independent soul and ambition and everything. So here we are, the short story, uh, seven years later, uh, live in 75 markets, and think we can contribute with some some really significant incremental growth into the streaming market moving forward. Uh, growth that no one had really seen before, but that's, you know, it's not as big a market as the consumer market, but it's, it's a high value market because we're charging $35 or $50 per subscription per month for businesses, right? So so it's kind of a high value, but a bit lower uh, uh, volume market than the consumer market. Interesting. So I did a little bit of research and basically like if, you're, if you have your own cafe, like let's just say you have your own cafe in Stockholm and, uh, you know, someone on your team you know, your barista wants to start playing music from Spotify and just uses Spotify for free. You can't actually do that, can you? You you need to have a a Spotify for like business or like a soundtrack your brand license or subscription to make that commercially viable, correct? And that is where you guys um, solve that problem, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's the equivalent of opening a cinema on your Netflix account, basically. So it's exactly the same legal thing. Uh, it's just very poorly managed and very new. Or if you take kind of the sports market is a good example. I mean, if you walk into a bar in Melbourne and, and you know watch a, a, a rugby game or, or a football game or a soccer game or whatnot, golf or whatever you're watching, those licenses come at a very high price. I mean, uh, bars would pay up to you know $20,000 a year, uh, US dollars or 20,000 sterling pounds to get the Premier League in the UK uh, because they'll get it back. So that's kind of a very good example of a functioning market where those rights have kind of come into play and are now uh, compliant and regulated. And the music streaming market is so new that uh, that we're just about now to kind of regulate that market and move it up the value chain. Yeah, so... What would be happening right now is like kind of, you know, a mum and pop cafe shop. They wouldn't realize that their barista is actually like what they're doing is not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. So that would be um, really advantageous that you, um, you know, obviously 
you would have the data from from Spotify. You can look. Uh, can can you can you identify using Spotify if a, a business is streaming and they're not you paying for a license correctly? No, I mean we're we're separated uh, at that instance with Spotify. Spotify is merely a shareholder as of today, so the company is one hundred percent independent. But you're 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 absolutely right. If you just take the example, we actually hired Nielsen Research last year to kind of uh, quantify the market for us, and it it not surprisingly showed up that there's around twenty million uh, businesses using consumer services illegally basically and, and that's not only spotify that's apple music amazon and, and everything and uh, that's 20 million businesses and probably close to you know i don't know 60 to 100 million locations because every business has like one two on average locations that that trickles down to 2.65 billion us dollars in royalty delta every year that actually should be flowing through to artists and composers if those businesses were paying correctly thirty dollars instead of ten, or 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 thirty five dollars instead of ten, which I know, by the way, business owners have no problem with paying if they would only be informed. I mean, of course, they respect they most of them respect artists' right to make a living as well. Most of them don't think thirty five dollars is you know too much to have great music if they were informed and had a great service, by the way, where they can actually you know drive their business with music. So I feel kind of. I feel kind of good about opening this market because it doesn't really disturb anyone. It just creates a very good interchange and and kind of a fair trade uh, between the business market and 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 artists and composers. So I'm kind of unlocking intrinsic value here that's already there and opening up for a great service to businesses because Spotify accounts or refusing that you have no control of what your staff is playing. They could be banging out Rammstein in the cafe and people walking out the door. That's in our system, you can obviously control the experience from a central point and you can kind of always secure that the brand is on, their soundtrack is on brand um, in, in, in the commercial context. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. So your is your biggest challenge educating the market? Yeah, so very good question. So I usually see myself, I usually compare with Spotify, just for the example, not for the size or anything, um, is in the beginning, they were very clear on saying that they their main competitor was piracy. And in order to compete with piracy, meaning file sharing at that time, they Daniel's very clear strategy was we win with product. So with a better product, 
read better than piracy, we will win the, the market over as a carrot and people will have no problem paying $9.99 if you have an awesome product. Uh, the same analogy uh, I'm using for me is that I, if you talk about the stick and the carrot, right, like they do in the US, I don't know if you do that in, down in down in, in Aussie land, but I'm assuming you know what it means. It means I, I build the carrot, meaning like the great product that people, and then the market, I mean, the rights holders should actually carry the stick uh, or the regulators because they have organizations in every market with one single job to represent the artist or the composer in the market and that they get fairly compensated when their art is consumed it this one is right in front of them so go get to work everyone working in the societies just see to it that everyone is actually using a proper music service when they're playing music in their venues it's as easy as that uh, so answering your question to spotify yes you can see behavioral patterns from uh, consumer accounts um, where you can see easily that they're using but I also know now by Nielsen data that it's around 20 million and, and a massive opportunity. So I'm now rallying the industry to run the stick. And while I do what Swedes do best, build product, the mm, carrot. Interesting. So, yeah, that's a really, really interesting uh, thought process that the way that you tackle piracy is to build a better product. Um, and you can see that with like, you know, Netflix, Right, like everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people used to use, you know, your, your torrents to download a movie and, you know, all these mm -hmm. different things. But it gets to a point where it's actually friction. It causes friction to, to go and do all that stuff. And, and now it's like, okay, well, I'll just see if Netflix have it or Amazon have it and, you know, and then off you go. Or you can even use, you know, Apple and, or Amazon to rent the movie and it might be even cheaper and, like, easier, you know what I mean? Because right. people, people are being now more than ever used to paying for content as well. Like, people are being accustomed to pay for content um, more than ever um, through the App Store and also, yeah, through services like Spotify. So yeah, and, and and that's also the 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 exact prerequisite in the business market because small businesses are buying more and more, you know, software as a service. I mean, everything they're doing is software as a service now. They're planning the restaurant seatings, they're doing their time scheduling with staff, their taxes, their payment systems. Everything is software as a service. So like the timing is quite nice to have, you know, full on online provisioning kind of uh, software as a service solution for businesses and music right now i'm curious how are you aggressively attacking that market around identifying potential businesses because the mum and pop doing outbound like that wouldn't be time beneficial for a sales rep or like like how how are you tackling that because yeah are you going for big store chains like a walmart and then obviously they've got tens of thousands of stores around a, a particular a country or region. Like, like how do you how do you tackle that? Well, here we are, like uh, moving into kind of startup tactics, right, and and strategy and and market segmentation and so forth. In in, in my in my industry or in in kind of the B two B market space for music is very similar to kind of for example payment services. Um, so. What we're doing right now is like very roughly dividing the market into enterprise, mid-market, and uh, you know small business. So 
And what I like, and my religion is is all about scalability, um, and uh, being able to build a music service that is self-provisioning and enables a self-service use case is very hard. That's what we built and spent a lot of money building. So um, close to $40 million, you know, invested into kind of building that service. So it's not trivial. Uh, now we built that and now we, we kind of look at, okay, self-service um, scales, uh, online first uh, as a distribution uh, channel strategy. Uh, but with obviously a little bit of hybrid in there with customer success, helping out uh, during kind of acquisition, onboarding and so forth. So answering your question by kind of what we're doing now after doing many mistakes, by the way, because we did go into the market knowing nothing about this market. We did go into this market building a sales team for uh, for enterprise, um, U.S. office, all of the mistakes <laughs> startups do basically. Uh, but after, you know, I've been around the block a couple of times, so I just I've adjusted very quickly. I was it was a learning process as well, because the market was the buying market was not mature at all. It, it was you know if you're selling to for example Joe and the Juice, um, which is kind of a mid-sized chain. I don't know if you know them. It's a Danish juice bar chain. I don't know if they're down in Australia. I'm, I'm assuming not. No, but it's it's like a, a fast growing. They're around a thousand juice bars in the U.S. and Europe, and and they're happy to buy online. You know, they're self-serving the whole thing. They got one guy running, you know, the music in a very advanced music strategy worldwide. Uh, and then all of a sudden you have, um, I'm not going to mention them by name, a couple of big chains who actually don't even want to off, off, open up a software stack or open up an on, login. They just want to email a service person to kind of solve it for them. So they're not buying software as a service. They're buying service. And, and those, we just kind of, segment the market not by size but rather a maturity of of self-service that's that's the conclusion of you know three years of uh three to four years of experimenting and laboring through kind of rolling out a service worldwide and now it's very easy for me i'm targeting the the self-service market and i'm doing it through an online hybrid model um and and i'm doing it very clean now in terms of just uh, online marketing acquisition economics uh, for kind of SMB, so that's that's kind of a, a conclusion after many mistakes. Um, it's easy to get um, carried away with you know flying to meet Starbucks, which I've done, and you know Adidas and all of these big chains. But what you end up doing is spending so much time and money, and then you're getting negotiated down in the basement by the procurement departments, and you know uh, all of a sudden you look at the economics of those deals, and they're not that great. Yeah, got you. Yeah, because they're not big, big enterprise deals, are they? They it will, you know, depending on how many licenses. But yeah, they are. They are. I mean, look, they they are clear enterprise. I mean, we 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 were actually signed huge enterprise accounts, but they're so demanding and they're not willing to pay that the whole kind of sales economics and the kind of just you know the cost of 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 servicing them is just too high uh, because the market is broke so what we've said is like we we just focus on the self-service customer and we do that globally because that i can run a global business a global market leader with 75 people from a stockholm office that's my kind of mission and that's a pretty cool kind of scalability ambition because i like small tight teams 
and I like extreme scalability. You said something interesting. Um, okay, so we've got a full kind of uh, gamut of your journey. I'll uh, have a ton of different questions. You said a few interesting things to me. You said um, you're going to focus on what Swedes do best, which is building great product. Uh, why do you think that is? Like, if you think even from a like a like a from a physical um, you know physical products as well. Uh, that's what I kind of know. Kind of you know Swedish have a really good. Um, sense of fashion and style and yeah like you know designed products what why do you think that is uh well so it's it's a small country obviously as you know it's like nine nine and a half million inhabitants and up here in north of europe where no one goes so i think we've always had export as our main means of surviving like from historically not just from the vikings but you know that was that was that was one type of export that we might not you know flag as a good one but 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 later on in our industrial heritage is actually all about just uh, uh you know high quality industrial development with export as our only solution so hence that there's always been a fixture to product and winning through product so we can't win through volume we have to compete our way into markets and differentiate ourselves into our export market so it's always been how do you do that by 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 for some reason creating more beautiful or more high or better quality product so that's just a, a thesis around that 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 goes all the way then into kind of design uh simplicity our nature and kind of close to nature and, and that all moves into uh, some kind of modern uh you know, blue mouth of that concept where we we were very focused on product and product differentiation and product quality. And then you add engineering culture to that as well, uh, where engineering has been kind of the core of, of kind of our educational backbone. And then you get a, a nation that's focused on building product either through mechanical engineering or through, you know, software engineering. So, so kind of design and engineering together and then in my little world, you can add the third component, which is music, right? Which is another weird thing about Sweden in terms of kind of our, our per capita BMP export of music is the third biggest in the world after after US and UK. Um, so on the creative side, and then obviously a couple of startups in the music, tech, uh, engineering, tech, music, that that kind of those three ingredients have, have proven to be very useful for Swedish startups like SoundCloud, for example, or Swedish as well. So Spotify, Beats Team was us, Cobalt, uh, and you name it. So there's a lot of music tech coming out of Sweden. And obviously music tech uh, is close to consumer. Uh, it, it can leverage the kind of design focus and product quality focus. And then you add kind of the music uh, component to that as well. And, and boom, here we are. I'm curious, and I've always wondered this, um, and you'll be able to answer that question um, around kind of, uh, you know, beats and working um, on that product. Uh, Like, how difficult was it to strike all these licensed deals with artists like like the, just to, to even fathom that, like now, now it's known that an artist would have to to work with with an Apple Music or a Spotify, because because that's a distribution channel for you. But to actually 
you know, before that market and that distri- big distribution channel existed, you have to go to each artist, knock down the door and say, hey, how you typically make money with CDs where you make way more, you need, it's going digit, it's digitizing and you're going to get an even, uh, only a very small fraction of that. How did you do that? And what did that look like in those days? Well, this is obviously the big one, right? Uh, I like the reason why I'm here in the music industry still is because it's very, you know, p- people underestimate the complexity. So, and and then when you kind of uh, further through on that, uh, it's really hard to build, um, and it's not hard to build only the technology, but in combination with what you're referring to, the the re-engineering of the whole distribution model and the business model of music. So what, and I'm not taking any uh, kind of claim on that, that was already in motion when we came in and Spotify was actually knocking down doors on that one. And they, uh, you have to give them the cred of actually getting the industry behind the model and the model is very complex to understand. It's you know it's a pro rata model. It's basically to simplify it is we collect these this money, we put it in a bucket, we keep twenty five percent of that in order to build product, and then the the seventy five percent rest of it we distribute based on who's being consumed. And and then you got to build great technology, and you got to build you know a price point that that's you know attractive for the consumer and then you got to build volume in order to kind of pay out royalties to everyone and and getting everyone it's not just the labels it's the labels it's the artists behind the labels it's the publishers the songwriters everyone has to believe in it and it, it was crazy getting this but remember where we were when this happened we were in a market that had no hope it had been completely crushed by illegal file sharing so it was a market that needed to change in order to even survive. And they had unsuccessfully tried with suing, you know, single moms in Melbourne or, or uh, you know, uh, trying to build weird type of security systems that never worked and so forth. So this was their only hope. I mean, Daniel was their only hope when he did it. But it's still, it was, you know, the absolute most complex. And we came in and we kind of just followed on beats and we tweaked it a little bit uh and we were able to kind of so i'll give them most of of the kind of props but at soundtrack it's when i realized i, I moved home and kind of like, i'm like shit i need to do this again and now i need to be daniel because now i need to go out and set the b2b model with everyone so that's what i spent four years doing kind of getting everyone behind the fact that okay this is the b2b model so that was actually the hardest part, building the B2B kind of licensing structure and business model. Uh, it, was, it was not equivalent to what Daniel did with Spotify because they understand the streaming model now. But it was uh, equally challenging to get all of these labels and publishers and artists and songwriters aligned behind kind of who keeps what when we sell a subscription for $35 or $50. Yeah, I see. So you didn't just bolt on with a with like uh, Spotify's existing licensing agreements. You you didn't know you had to build it all from scratch. Yes. Wow. Yes. 
there was no streaming license for for the public domain did not exist that would have been painful <laughs> it was it was painful uh and it was i almost looked myself in the mirror and was like seriously are you going to do this again uh, but you know what do you do for a job in the music industry <laughs> working with your passion and by the way you know jokes aside uh, i did feel very secure about the fact that the we were actually adding something very very good to the market because we were adding like we were adding a product that increased perception of value in music and everyone was like oh music is going from 999 to six dollars now and everyone's just uh what are we doing giving away all of this art for nothing and 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 here 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 comes another Swede with, you know, look, I actually think we should be charging more for music. I actually think if you don't want music, don't play it. Like, or if you want to play it, pay it. Like it, $35 is not too much to get like awesome freaking culture in your cafe every month. Like that's what I pay for breakfast at Starbucks. So look, you, we need to be, the music industry has been really bad at kind of extracting value from its product. It's been more or less dysfunctional. And they needed startups to kind of help them do it. The movie, the movie industry, they're amazing. They, every time you do anything, they're, they're getting paid. Or the sports industry, you know, they're getting paid. But the music industry, you know, they chose to give it away for free or whatever. So I'm kind of a little bit being somewhat a pain in the ass, but I'm doing it with good intentions and telling them, look, fix, let's fix this market and let's extract more value from your music. And and that's good for everyone. And I can create a very very profitable little diamond in the music industry as a company. That's my 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 goal. So I have to ask, like, um, any crazy stories of uh, like working, you know, at, at Beats uh, with with uh, Jimmy and Dre? Oh, there's a lot of crazy stories. Uh, I mean, it it was absolutely crazy. Uh, it was you know uh, me trying to get into meetings when they're rolling flying private jets everywhere um you know having gwen stefani and everyone with us will i am and everyone's it's just like a big you know movie uh and uh, me being you know the swede uh trying to build together the team staying focused on building you know great technology it was very hard to do that and have that focus in there but uh very very interesting stories one is when we had a board meeting in las vegas and uh, we were going to present the whole kind of the, the initial concept and the business plan for beats music and everyone was there dre was there and um, we sat in when they were kind of presenting uh, a product line with beats the pill it was like a speaker that came with you know one of those small speakers portable speakers and Dre was just like, no way these colors are coming. There was no way. Like he, he didn't speak much. He just, but when he said something, everyone listened. It was relevant. And it was always well thought through. He was complete, completely killing this concept. And, and, and that I was up after and Trent Reznor was with me and he, he actually went to buy a suit for the first time in his life. And I was in t-shirt and jeans and, and Trent Reznor was in a suit all of a sudden. And obviously you, you didn't expect that from him. So we went up and we did the presentation and, and uh, I showed them the market. I showed them kind of the ideas we had around kind of initial product experience and a concept we called the sentence, which we launched a product with. And 
obviously, I mean, I just seen these people get completely hammered by, 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 you know, coming up, presenting and just walking out with nothing. So it was a pretty intimidating situation. But then just at the end, he stood up and gave you know slow applause. And then the CEO of uh, HTC was in the room as well. And he, and he just stood up after this is brilliant. We're investing. So that, so that was a good story. And then there's, you know, 10 bad ones as well. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you for sharing. So, Look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up. I'm mindful of your time as well, but this has been a mm-hmm. crazy, fantastic, insightful, uh, ton of learning conversation. Um, I have to ask you, because you do have uh, extensive experience, you know, building startups, um, on your journey, what do you think have been some of the most critical lessons that you've learned that you'd like to share with our audience? I think usually I had the privilege of, kind of going after to work with my dream um being being music and music market changing and and the privilege of having the prerequisites of doing that so so obviously not everyone has that and i'm grateful for that but once you take that decision you actually can work with something that you're truly passionate about uh it all comes down to perseverance uh you know everything is always 10 times harder than you would ever imagine. And I'm sorry, but that's just a reality. Nothing comes easy. The people you read about that, you know, nail it. Most of them should be very humble to the fact that, you know, a lot of luck played into that and a lot of timing and a lot of sliding doors. But if you believe in the core of your idea and it's simple enough and you can explain it to your mother, then uh, perseverance is key. And always thinking tactical five steps ahead, like what happens if, what happens if. So you, you're, I'm constantly planning uh, through like a tree structure. Uh, so I'm always like, because I, I usually, people think I over-exaggerate, but like out of 10 things, nine things are bad. Like that's, you know, you're waking up every morning and you got another torpedo in your side. And that's kind of even maybe more so in the music industry because it's just so dysfunctional. But like deal with it, perseverance, keep pushing and focus on the wins and kind of eliminate the, the losses uh, or kind of move away from the, you know, the losses. And perseverance is, is everything. And I think that is kind of my main philosophy in learning. And we'll see if I, if I make it through. How do you, like what advice would you have to anyone that wants to get in touch with hard to reach people or banging down doors because obviously you are exceptional at that throughout your career you've had to work with some very uh you know extremely time poor people and been able to get in front of them what advice would you have for anybody um that that wants to do that or needs to do that because that's a part of the journey right yeah i think um this one's tricky, right? But it goes back to what I said about building great product. Uh, I mean, you have to have something that is extremely relevant for them in order to have a dialogue. Without that, there's no use trying. You're, you, you, they might people might be polite and so forth, you might, but like you have to focus on your product or your offering first and foremost. And and if you have that kind of core prerequisite of having something that they would want then it's easy right but you can't think about it as like i got a network like i don't i don't believe in that at all i don't even know what people do when they network 
everything is about uh, mutual synergies and for them getting more out of it than not working with you. In order to get there, you need to have something tangible. So once you have that, like for example, me, when I have a music streaming service that's for business, then that could potentially be interesting to have a discussion with Amazon about or, you know, or someone else. So you, I don't, I don't think about it as networking. I think about, okay, create density of relevance and the dialogues will come. You probably have to open them yourself. Yes, but it's so much easier. Like you could explain it why you're, why you're reaching out. What's the win for them? How do you give something to them? They want something. They want more. Um, okay, awesome. I won't take up any more of your time. Final question. Um, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and uh, your work, Soundtrack, your brand? Uh, well, about myself, I don't, <laughs> I'm not as good as you are. <laughs> I mean, I'm, not, I'm not great at self-promotion. <laughs> I think probably, uh, I mean, go to Soundtrack, soundtrackyourbrand.com. That's where you can read about this current kind of uh, the business that I'm building. And it's pretty focused on that. But I mean, if you check me out on LinkedIn, actually, that's I'm actually quite active on LinkedIn, believe it or not, because uh, I found that being a pretty good platform for a guy like me, where I'm basically just pure business and music industries there and uh, technology industry. So I'm, I'm quite active there. So feel free to ping me on LinkedIn. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, man. Like, I really appreciate it. It was a fantastic conversation. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks for doing this. You're doing an amazing job. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.